please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And we've got some very special guests amongst us this morning. We have John and Faye Edwards. Of course, they are Julie's parents, my in-laws. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome them here this morning. And in a few moments, I'm going to be inviting Julie to come up with her dad, John. I don't call him John publicly, by the way. I just <laughs> am doing that for the sake of you all. Anyway, let's read from Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we've been made right with God, or in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This morning, Julie's going to come and she's going to interview her dad. And so I'd like you to welcome Julie and her dad, John, to the stage for this interview. Well, good morning, everyone. And um, yeah, good morning. It's, it's a very uh, special privilege for me to be having this conversation with my dad, um, who is almost 90. He'll be... Nearly as old as the ABC. <laughs> Nearly as old as the ABC. Okay, I didn't know that, but there you go. <laughs> um, and a lot happens in 90 years, and my mum is almost 92 and uh, we've still got them both with us, and there's a lot that Dad will share this morning. Mum is very much and very much has been Dad's partner in ministry throughout the many years that they've served as missionaries and then in pastoring. And um, So this is a story of hope this morning. It's a story of hope, Dad. Mm -hmm. um, and thanks for that Bible reading, Wayne. Uh, Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Very powerful words. Very difficult words to comprehend, actually, yep. how it all works. But the goal this morning is that through your testimony, that together we will all see the outworking of this encouragement from Paul to rejoice in suffering because of what it produces. Not suffering for suffering's sake, but because of what it produces. And I think that's a... I think that's what your life um, is, is a t yours and mum's, is a testimony to very much. So uh, I just want to say here that um, my parents, yeah, they still enjoy life. Mum loves to garden, and that's where she feels the closest to the Lord. How many of you can identify with that? <laughs> and she spends lots of time gardening. And Dad... Um, what are you doing? Well, I'm being interviewed. <laughs> you are right at this moment, but 
I know you're going to expound on this later, so I'll just cut to the chase. You still preach yes. at least once a month. You've got a weekly preaching assignment in a Chinese Presbyterian church in the city. as a well monthly as monthly one, yes. Yeah, a monthly one, sorry, a monthly. And then you also preach at your own church, at which you're an elder, still serving. You lead a home group, and that's weekly. Yes. Yep, so you teach, you're still teaching. And, um, and I play the accordion. And you play the accordion. Mm. That's right. Yes, yes. Well, we're not going to have an experience of that today. <laughs> Praise the Lord for small mercies. You all go home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, when the grandchildren go and visit you, they yes. have to get the harmonicas out because you do that as well. Yeah. And, and Grandpa sits there with the piano accordion. And it's definitely a glorious noise. Um, <laughs> To the Lord, one which they would never, uh, never miss out on. In fact, you have to get one more harmonica because yeah. <laughs> you haven't got enough <laughs> when they all want one. So, um, but also, Dad, you play tennis. How often yeah. do you play tennis? Twice a week. Twice a week. You're still playing tennis twice a week and still whooping the younger ones, apparently. Um, and winning. Oh, oh, winning, winning. <laughs> yeah, I remember, Dad. You never let me win a tennis match. <laughs> um, and you also mow the lawn and you prune the 50 rose bushes that mum loves to nurture. Mm. <laughs> 50 plus. 50 plus. Mm. <laughs> 50 plus rose bushes. So um, that also keeps you very fit. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that Christians can expect to encounter suffering. In his letter to the Philippians, he puts it very plainly. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And so the question is, how are we to understand the role of suffering in our lives? And what does a Christ-centered response to suffering look like? So a little bit about you, Dad. Um, we, yeah, I can have that next slide. To summarize your childhood, just really quickly before we get to the other stuff. You grew up in Como, yeah, uh, not a church-going family. No. No. And um, there were trials. Your dad um, served in the war. That, mm. that created some issues for him. There were very clear issues of favoritism amongst the siblings, and there were five of you, and you weren't one of the favored ones. Your mother was what was described in those days as a nerv nervous invalid. And your family was quite poor. Mm. And it's interesting because at Wayne's mum's funeral just recently, someone came up to me and said, oh, were you Julie Edwards? And I said, yes. And she's like, well, I think it was, it was about Len Ravenscroft. And, and this, this family knew my dad's family when they were much younger, this age here on the left <laughs> um, and remembered in this family they remembered um, that you always you know when you did come to Sunday school you, you didn't you didn't have any shoes and you've told me dad that you didn't get your first pair of shoes until you were in high school that's correct yeah so that's that's a little bit about your growing up years mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there were other struggles and difficulties too for mm. you. But, Dad, here's the first question I want to ask you. How and when did Jesus Christ reveal himself to you in a situation like that? I think because um, we were poor, somebody, some well-meaning 
lady took me to Sunday school, yep. an Anglican Sunday school, and I liked it. But I didn't stay very long because, well, I never had shoes or clothes that were wear that I felt were appropriate. So after about three times, I stopped. But then, uh, when I was a bit older, about ten, I think, I went to a Baptist Sunday school. By that time, I, no, I don't think I had shoes, no. Um, uh, I fell in love with the, um, with the teacher. I thought Miss Watts was wonderful. <laughs> and I'd have married her if she'd asked me. <laughs> but she did the wrong thing and she got married. And that was the end of that. I wasn't going to go back after that. <laughs> but they gave me a Chris, uh, birthday card, my 10th birthday, or 9th or 10th. And uh, I took the card home and put it away. When I was about 14, I think, I was cleaning my drawers and uh, I came across the card and I read it. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So I said to my mum, she was a nervous invalid, but she had been a school teacher. Um, what does wise mean? You know what wise means. Well, it says here, I will in no wise cast out. Oh. Oh, that means I will definitely not cast out. Oh. So I went away and I read it. Him that cometh to me, I will definitely not cast out. And I felt warmth to go right through me. I just felt good about that. And that probably was my first sense of God. Okay? Yeah, that's good. And um, when you were 16, what mm -hmm. happened? Well, I was invited to go to a youth group, the same church, South Como Baptist. A friend of mine uh, lived up the street, asked me to go to the youth group. And because of that card... I went, and, um, and because I love Miss Watts as well. But, um, uh, and as soon as I went, I felt, this is my people. The thing was, by then, I was, uh, I was representing the state in life-saving, but they weren't my people. They were all well-to-do. And I don't think they meant it at all, but they talked about getting refrigerators and cars, and that wasn't my, wasn't my realm. And I just didn't feel part of that. And as soon as I went to the Sunday school as a youth group, I thought, these are my people. Uh, they welcomed me, and I didn't feel inferior, and I was ready to listen. There's something that um, the Lord said to you pretty much as soon as you gave your life to him at the age of 16. Dad, okay. can you share about that? Mm. Uh, I went to, to the youth group in the winter. <laughs> the summer was coming and I'd have to get back into training. So I thought before I go back into training and give up on the church, I'll go to a youth camp. I went to a youth camp. And I was challenged. Tom Binks was the speaker. And he said, come forward if you want to trust Jesus. Well, I was scared that it wouldn't take. 
you know what I mean. I didn't want to disappoint people, but I went out onto the hills of Araluen and uh, began to pray. And as I prayed, I felt a light, and I felt a heavy load on my back just drop off. And I don't remember getting back to the campsite. I just remember waking up. And I woke up and I thought, I must be a Christian now. But I wasn't sure. But three weeks later, I was a technician in training as well. And uh, I was filing at my desk and... um, I said to the man next to me, who I knew was a Christian, Malcolm Dunsey, some of you know me, Dr. Malcolm Dunsey now, but um, Malcolm, how do you know you're a Christian? And he said, well, you know what John 3.16 says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it says, if you believe, you have. Do you believe? And I thought, well, I've given my heart to the Lord. Yes, I believe. Well, you have. And I went back thinking, if you believe, you have. If you believe, you have. Well, I have. I have eternal life. And I was grinning from ear to ear. And I had, when I went home, I didn't want to talk to anybody because I was thinking about that. And I didn't want them to see the grin on my face. I couldn't get it off. It'll do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what about this call to missions? That's what I... Ah, okay. Well, about three weeks later, the same guy that preached when I was converted, Tom Binks, was preaching at the um, Everyman Centre in Perth, in Hay Street. And I was there and he said, now, if you're willing to be a missionary, stand up. And I said, well, I'm willing. And I stood up and about 20 other young people stood with me. And I was willing to be a missionary. I was willing to be anything. And and that was fine. But then when I was 19, my father died fairly suddenly with cancer. And my mother was an invalid. And I thought, well, that's that. I can't be a missionary. Um, because being a missionary was the top rank, you know. Nothing nothing was better than that for Jesus, so I wanted to be a missionary. But then when I finished training as a technician, I was sent to Northam. And while I was there, I noticed that my mother was well. She was all right without me. And I only came home weekends. And I thought, well, I could be a missionary now. Because you took over caring for your mum. Uh, yeah, I was my mum's main carer all my life, really. Mm. Um, and, uh, and my three younger brothers and sisters. But um, I could be a missionary if I wanted to. So I thought, well, I'd better go to Bible college then. Oh, but I hadn't been saving for it. I hadn't been planning for it. All I had was this lovely little blue Austin car. Well, I thought, well, I can sell that. And I did. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. I won't have another car 
ever in my life. But I was prepared for that. I won't tell you how many new cars I've had since then. Okay. So you were 23 when you started training at yep. Perth Bible, Perth Bible Institute. Institute. It yes. wasn't called... Oh, yeah, that's what it was called. What's it called yep. now? Perth Bible College and now... Yeah, yep, yep. yep. Okay. Yeah, so, Dad, I know that there was an unexpected cost um, ah. even before you sailed to Singapore mm-hmm. at the age of 25. So you must have done a couple of years at Perth Bible College and then you institute and then you sailed... Uh, to Singapore at the mm-hmm. age of 25. What was that unexpected cost? Well, while I wasn't going to be a missionary, I was going to be, I guess, a normal married person. And I had a relationship with a young lady, Nancy, and uh, we were going to get married, no question, when I finished Bible college. Even then, when I finished Bible college. But... When I was coming to the Bible College, I realized, yes, I made a commitment. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to join the OMF. And it was a mission so, founded by Hudson Taylor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, my girlfriend's mother said, not on your life, not with my Nancy. Mm. And that was the end of that. Yeah. Yeah, so you continued because... The Lord had put that on your heart and yes. he said yes. Step of obedience. Step of obedience, yeah. Okay. So, Dad, you, um, you went uh, to study Hokkien. Yes. Did you start that in Singapore? Yes. And then you continued in the first um, place that you were sent, yes, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dad, just, just to prove that you can actually speak <laughs> in Hokkien. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering if you could say to, is Michelle Wyatt here, actually? Oh, see, Michelle, now she's Taiwanese. Ah, which... Taiwan, Nan, she bo? Hokkien, Nan, she Taiwan, Nan. Nan, she Taiwan, Nan. Terrible. Taiwanese, you're a mainlander. Yes, I know. We, we have a term for you. <laughs> It's Gua Sing Lang. Yeah, from the mainland. Yeah, yeah that's you're right. a mainlander, okay. So, so, but her, her mum is from Taiwan, right? Yeah, your mum and dad? Ah, oh, but you don't speak Taiwanese, okay. Uh, she speaks Mandarin and she speaks some but Taiwanese. But you understood me just then, didn't you? Yeah. You yeah. understood my Hokkien, didn't you? Yeah, she understands. So <laughs> Taiwanese and Hokkien are very similar. Same. Um, and uh, Taiwan, uh, that'll come up later, but you had to go and live in Taiwan after the Malaysian government would no That's longer right. allow you to stay. And because Taiwanese and Hokkien are very similar, they could go um, to Taiwan and, and work in churches there. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you um, for responding. Gamsia. <laughs> Gamsia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so... There was um, so there was language training before you went to your first assignment, which was in a place in Malaysia called Bulakasip. Um, bamboo village. Bamboo village. Yeah, uh, yeah. From, yeah. So tell us about that bamboo village, Dad. The bamboo village. Uh, when OMF went to Thai, uh, uh, to Malaya, Malaya, um, there was a communist war on. Communists were in the jungle. So they took all the people, Chinese people anyway, and put them into what they call new villages. They built 
homes for them, very rough, barbed wire fence, lights, guards. You had to, as you went out, you were searched, and as you came back in, uh, you were searched. So you didn't take anything out to the bandits in the jungle. And there were curfews. Curfews, yes. Yeah. yeah. So this is where you went. Yes. Um, but it had just become what they call white. Because there'd be no killings for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so place. we were allowed Very in there. Place. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, and, so that was your first term. Mm-hmm. And um, can you just describe sort of what it was like? What, what's the sort of place you were living in? Well, it was a big long hut. And it was divided into four. It was all corrugated iron. No ceilings. So you shared the cats and the rats, and we were in the middle. Okay. In the middle? Yeah. Corrugated iron? Yeah. In the Malaysian jungle? Yes. Yeah. And don't ask me about the toilet. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And I understand that at one point there was, um, they were storing durian next to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyone? Yeah, there's groans and moans because we love jury. Yeah, there was a corrugated iron wall and the iron, even the iron had holes in it yeah. because it was second hand and, and we had all the lovely smell of the durian. Uh-huh. We yep. got used to it. Yeah. And we got to like it. And we got, yep. You had to. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Dad, joys and difficulties. And that... do you like durian? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. It's obviously passed, That's why. Obviously passed on. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> um, but if you can just describe um, the joys and the difficulties of that first term, which was actually five and a half years, and there's a reason it was five and a half years. Yes, because I went out on my own, and you had to do, in the mission, you had to do four years each. But my wife came out later. and It wasn't we got your wife then? Faye. Yeah, she wasn't your wife then. No, 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 no. That's my <laughs> fiancé. Yeah. We had a um, aerogram romance. Aerogram romance, yeah. Not, not recommended. Do you even know what an aerogram is? <laughs> they don't even know what an aerogram is, Dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What is it's it? It's a type of airmail air letter. Do you know what an airmail letter is? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't have... Even landlines then. Stick, yeah, okay. So it was, all, it was all by letter. It was all by correspondence. Um, and mum, and got that next picture, mum was actually, she came out, and this is why that term became five and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Because you went out first. Yeah. Mum f- followed about a year or so later. Mm. And mum was in this village called... Tanjong Sapat. Yep. And there she is with the Sunday school. Mum was very good at growing Sunday schools <laughs> and women's work. Um, mm. So you were in Bulakasip. Mum was in Tanjong Karang. And, uh, sorry, no, Tanjong Sapat. Getting my villages mixed up. And um, not long after that, da da, next picture, you guys were married April 30th, 1962, in Kuala Lumpur. Yep. Um, and there's a big, lots of stories about that. Mum did the icing on the cake, but she she actually made the cake and and iced it, ordered all this stuff from Australia. By the time it got there, it was all in pieces, and Mum fixed it all up, iced it. I don't have a picture of the cake, but it, you'd never know. Um, 
And, and the icing was soft because of the uh, humidity, yes. and I could see that all this top lovely function slowly sinking <laughs> as I was wait at the at the table for you know the yes. breakfast. Yeah, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Yep, yep. And I know that on uh, the, the first night back after your honeymoon, what happened? Well, back in the village, back in Bulacasa. Yeah, it rained and yep. it rained. <laughs> And I could hear something running under the bed, <laughs> and it was water that was honestly about three feet deep. Yeah. Now, we couldn't get out of bed, but fortunately it ran through, and by the time the daylight came, it was only about that deep. We were right. That was our first night That's back. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds like an exciting honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so lots of things, lots of training, lots of language training, really getting the language under your belt in Bulacasip. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the five and a half years, you go home for furlough. Meryl was born, so mm -hmm. eldest daughter, eldest child was born mm -hmm. in, in 1963. In Kuala Lumpur, in yeah. In Kuala Lumpur, while you were at Bulacasip. And um, anyway, so after that, the end of that furlough, your next assignment was to a village called Tanjong Karang. And that was between 1965 and 68. Well, I was born at the start of this term. <laughs> um, no, uh, and that was a wonderful thing. But, Dad, it got very difficult after that. Oh, okay. Tanjong Curry. Yes, we were sent... Uh, I was on loan from OMF to the Chinese Methodist Church, which wanted to open the work in Cape Coral, Tanjong Curry. Um, it was a Chinese village, but surrounded by Malays and Muslims. Okay, that, didn't, that wasn't significant at that point. But um, the district superintendent who, who sent me there, wonderful godly man, got nose cancer and died very quickly. The chief deacon, or the, the one family that was a Christian when we went there, the wife died in childbirth, number 11 child. Um, Was that Tiam Ho? No, Tiam Ho, yeah. Tiam Ho's uh, wife died. Um, and then we had another child, Calvin. There was also a pastor who died, wasn't there, David? Sorry? One of the pastors died? No, the, the pastor was the one, the superintendent. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but then when uh, Calvin was born and when he He's was... a third a, child. Third. When he was about 11 months old, he got malaria. It was a difficult kind of malaria because it was in the brain. But he had been treated before with an injection from a doctor and it got well within a couple of days. We took him to the local doctor when we knew he had come back again. He was 11 and a half months old and the doctor ordered an adult dose of chloroquine instead of an infant one. And my wife queried it. She said, that looks too big. And, he's, and I went back, no, that's correct. And they put half in one side and half in the other side of his buttock and in five minutes he was dead. The shock was just unbelievable. Mm. And um, that 
grief went on for years, is all I can say. Mm. Okay. Yeah. We came home early yeah, we've got a photo because of that. There, actually. We've just got some photos And here. I did a couple of years um, training for the ministry, the Baptist ministry, at Vose Seminary. Yeah. Dad, I want to read from 2 Corinthians mm -hmm. 1, verses 8 to 10. Paul's words, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Sounds like what that term yes. in Tanjong Karang Yes, like. yes, yes. Um, there was death. There was so much death mm -hmm. around Yes, you. yes. And when I came home, I did a PowerPoint, um, a grain of wheat. Mm. The wheat had fallen into the ground and died mm. to produce a crop. Yeah, unless it dies. Yes, yeah, yeah. and that was death, physically as well as um, yeah. emotionally for us. Yeah, yeah. Dad, how is it possible? How do, you, how, do you, how do you even get to the place where you can rejoice in suffering? Yeah. Now, Paul talks about rejoicing in suffering. And as far as Calvin is concerned, I would say I accept it. I don't rejoice in it. Maybe he's in a class above me, I don't know. But I do know what he's talking about because when I was in national service, this was after I'd finished telecoms training, I did six months in Pierce Aerodrome in the Air Force. Everyone had to. And while I was there, uh, I was one of 30 young guys in a bunk, in a, in a Nissan hut, and they were wild. And I was a Christian. And I just felt alienated. Mm. I didn't belong. And I was very sorry for myself. And one day I went out on the air, where, where the airplanes land. The sun was setting. And I was complaining. Lord, I'm lonely. I'm miserable. What's wrong with me? And the sun was setting and a cloud seemed to come up out of the setting sun. And it touched my shoulders, and I suddenly felt like jumping for joy. I, I could hardly stand still. I wanted to turn somersaults. And then this verse from the Bible came to me. Well, I thought it was the Bible. If any man suffers a Christian, the glory of God, the glory of God rests upon him. Oh, I thought, well, that's what's happened. So I didn't know if that verse was in the Bible. And I ran in to find my, my friend, the same guy, Dr. Malcolm Dungey now. And I said, Malcolm, he was in another section. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that if any man suffers a Christian, the, glory, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon him? He said, I don't know. But I've got a concordance. We'll look it up. 
And there we looked it up, and there I read it. Wow. I experienced that rejoicing. So I knew it for that occasion. But I don't know that I ever knew it over Calvin. Maybe Paul was talking about different things too. Maybe he was talking about physical suffering, not emotional. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. It was a very difficult time. Um, One which I don't have any recollection. I was looking at Alora this morning and she's nearly the age that I was when Calvin died and Meryl was 18 months older. I don't have any conscious recollection, but I did have prayer ministry one time and just a great cry of grief came out of me when they ministered into the death of Calvin. So I know that deep within me there was also that grief and I know, Mum, that you cried for every day, every day for a year because you've you've Mm. told us that. But I just want to honour you both because in the midst of that grief and in my whole growing up years, I have never heard you demean God or speak in an accusing way of his character. And Dad, you know, you talk about that rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you haven't felt that. But neither have you passed on, right, any doubts. Any bitterness. Any bitterness Mm. in the character of God. Mm. And therefore, I just believe that the blessing is one that is passed forward as well, right? I don't think we ever were bitter, either of us. No, I don't think you were either. We were always accepting. Yes. Though not always rejoicing. And I remember you saying things like, and I remember your mum saying things like, we don't know what Calvin's life would have been like. We don't know whether the Lord took him out of sufferings, right? We don't know because we don't know. And, and because of that, we adopted a son, that's right. Martin. Yes. And we don't know what would have happened to Martin. That's right. If we hadn't adopted him, and we wouldn't have adopted him. Yes. If we'd had Calvin. And he was really, f- forgive me, brother, if you watch this, my brother Martin. But he was a really difficult baby. <laughs> he was. He was. He was born addicted, um, you know, to substance. And uh, it was very, very difficult. I do remember him in his cot, banging his head against the end of the cot. Like it seemed like it was every day, every night. And I think it was. And that was, anyway. And he couldn't drink milk. Yep. Yep. Um, sorry. He always had trouble regurgitating. He had and never gave us a night's rest. Problems, yeah. But... The amazing thing that happened, we, the, one doctor said, I'll give him goat's milk. Mm. Well, where did he get goat's milk? And just as the doctor said that, we had moved into the manse at Mount Hawthorne. Mm. And, and I was looking oh, at a garage anyway, an old shed, and there was all these packets and packets of goat's milk. <laughs> On the wall, a whole wall of it. And I said to the secretary of the church, who's is that goat's milk? I don't know. Can I have it? Yeah, you can have it. And there it is. 
<laughs> you, you explain it to me. I, I can't explain it. Yeah. <laughs> These things which are actually quite, they're, they're much more common now to get hold of. But back in those days, you know, that's a long time, long time ago, it was not so easy. So praise God for those miracles, <laughs> hey? Yeah, so... Um, no, very... you wouldn't go under solids. <laughs> <sighs> Yep. Julie was on solids at three weeks. <laughs> but then she was 10 pound born. <sighs> Thanks, Dad. And we yeah. couldn't fill her up. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> she got custard at you, three weeks. You, yeah. You don't do that these days. <laughs> shh, shh, cut that bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> so. Well, we were missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> you do whatever it takes, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything for a night's sleep. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If it's custard, it is. Custard, custard. <laughs> yummy, yummy. All right. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Dad, um, you know, we're, we're laughing now, but that was a really terrible time. And he's, Calvin's buried in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Yep, he's, he's there. Um, and... Uh, I know that you've been back, and I know you and mum have been back to the churches in mm -hmm. Malaysia as well, but I'll come to that in a, in a minute. So, Dad, you returned, yeah, you, so you, you cut that term short because yes. it was just too much. Yeah, it was too much. It was yeah. too much. And, um, you know, just to give you some understanding, we're talking about a remote village. Of, mm. You know, it wasn't close to the capital city. There was no child's coffin. You took his body home. Yes. Mm. And you placed it in the room where you used to have church and you put a cloth over mm. him and you waited for the coffin to come from Kuala Lumpur. Lumpur. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to imagine mm. what those mm. hours and days were like. Mm -hmm. But the Lord has definitely mm. undertaken for you and the, in the grace of God... Mm. You're still going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what this hope, mm. this hope, this glorious hope, that's the strength that mm. um, comes to us. And it's the strength that I've inherited through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm very privileged mm. to have grown up in the family that I grew up in. And I thank mm. the Lord for that this morning. When you did finally come back, so you didn't leave the mission, you just took a two-year mm -hmm. break mm -hmm. and you studied and you got your, um, what, what did you get? Reverend. You became a reverend. Whatever <laughs> you do to become a reverend, that's what he did. Mm. Um, how many years? Two, two years of... Uh, two years, but yeah. I, yeah. Okay, so that was... Uh, and then returned to Malaysia to a different place. This is the third um, village now, and yep. it's a village called Bunting. Mm -hmm. And... Um, before I talk about the blessings of Bunting, Dad, I just want to um, highlight for everyone that there were a lot of difficulties in that season as well, mm. in that four-year term. Yeah. Um, you were still recovering from Calvin's death, yep. both of you. Uh, Mum, you, you had major, major back surgery, yep. finally, in KL during that term. That followed quickly. Um, you were also excommunicated from... Um, 
mum's family mm -hmm. because grandpa saw you shaking hands with a man at the wharf as you left because you travelled by boat, by ship every time. That mm. ship, by the way, I've seen it in the Fremantle Harbour, the Centaur <laughs> that we travelled on. And, um, you know, Grandpa, Mum's father, saw you shaking hands with somebody that he considered his enemy. And so he wrote to you immediately and said, what did he say? Make him your enemy. Yeah. Make him... Write him a letter telling him, you don't want anything to do with him. And because you wouldn't do that, he cut us cut off, off from yep. the family. So we were excommunicated from our family. You also received news during that term that your mother had suicided. Yep. Yes. And also during that term, um, Meryl had already started school back in uh, on furlough, but both Meryl and I went to boarding school mm -hmm. together. That was in... August of 1970. Mm -hmm. So you'd just come, started at this village. All of this was going on. And, um, Dad, I just... Boarding school was a big thing. Mm -hmm. It was almost the done thing for mm -hmm. missionaries in those mm -hmm. days. It that was. You had to send your children away to boarding school. And because of Mum's coming impending surgery, um, it was agreed that I would go early. Mm -hmm. So... About four months after I turned five, mm -hmm. I went with my older sister to boarding school. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us some insight into that? Then, okay. Um, I, they actually wanted me to work up on the school for about six weeks, fixing things. I was Mr. Fixer. <laughs> and so we took the two girls and, and, and Martin, and Martin yeah. with us to the school and... That was also to settle them in, to settle Julian in particular, because she was quite young. And uh, we told them, you know, we were going back and they were straight to boarding school. But when we were saying goodbye, uh, I, I went to the, I think, it was, I can't remember all the details, but I said to Julie, bye love. Gave her a hug and a kiss and goodbye. And as the door opened for me to go out, I heard this shocking shriek, cry of terror. And it was Julie. I just had to turn my back and walk away. And I don't think I ever got over it. This Bible here is the one that mum and dad gave me. And it says, um, it, inscribed here. It was the first Bible I got, dad. It's in your writing. To our darling Julie, with love from daddy and mummy. On going to Chifu school, Jesus said, I am with you always. <laughs> August 14th, 1970. And I also wrote in here when I gave my life to Jesus. And, as, you know, it's important to hear, actually, what it cost 
and what it has cost many missionaries to go to other places and to send their children to boarding school. But I can testify before you and mum, and you know this, and before all of you here, that it was actually in my years, early years in boarding school that I encountered the Lord, the love of Jesus. And I don't actually remember that, <laughs> probably for good reason. For which I thank God. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I do remember homesickness, and I do remember lying in my bed in one of the dorms after we'd just come back to Chifu and crying and asking Jesus to come and comfort me. And in a similar way to the ways that you've experienced God at different times, Dad, Jesus walked in. It was just like he, I just knew as a child. I've forgotten so many things, but I will never, ever forget this. He came into that room, sat down on my bed and gave me a cuddle. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay now. You're okay? Good. So. But when I got The back, grace of God. I'm just saying, Dad, mm, you know, you had to leave us, but Jesus is exactly what you mm, wrote in here. Jesus mm, never left us. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. So <clears throat> I went back to the village, but. Soon after that, I started having panic attacks. Mm. And they were strange panic attacks. I would feel giddy and then a terrible fear. Mm. Oh, I'm dying. And I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. But I'd get over it. Anyway, I went to the local doctor and she said, here, here's some pills. Mm. And with those pills... Uh, antidepressants I think or something I recovered enough to carry on with the ministry but I was always aware that I was on the edge of collapse mm. at any time I could have another panic attack and especially when I went up to preach I would think oh, am I going to be okay or am I going to have a panic attack? But I always was okay. And the amazing thing is that that church grew like no other church I'd ever had before. Young people just swept into the church and it grew. And it's still a marvellous, great big church now. Three times the size it was then. Yeah. Okay. So that season was marked by great blessing, blessing. in weakness. And growth, yeah. In yeah. my weakness, I was strong. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And uh, when you, yeah, like I say, that church is thriving. You've been back to each of those churches yeah, yeah. in Bulacasip, mm -hmm. in Tanjongkarang, and mm. in Bunting. And they all exist, they're mm. all thriving. Yeah. And I was that scared when I was going back to Bunting because I was thinking, well, they said to me, when you come here, you're to preach in Hokkien, <laughs> not English. Although they had the service, they had it in English in Hokkien by then. And I thought, oh, my Hokkien. I can't even remember the, the name for a word for a tree. <laughs> but as soon as I got to the smells and the sounds of Malaysia, it just all came flooding back. Yeah. And I preached in Hokkien and was interpreted into English. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
But it was really quite interesting. Was that so that they could understand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they just wanted the old yeah. John Edwards back. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dad, I'm told that your Hokkien actually was very, very good. They yeah. couldn't tell it apart from... Yeah, they couldn't. <laughs> ...from a local. And I remember waking up one day and I was having a dream and I was talking to my mother in Hokkien and she was answering me in Hokkien. <laughs> And I woke up and I thought, she doesn't speak Hokkien. <laughs> I must be there. I must, I must be in Mumbai now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Dad, we're running out of time, so yep. I'm just going to fast forward now. Taiwan, um, as I mentioned before, so Bunting was the last term in Malaysia. The government did mm. not re renew your visa any longer. Yep. And they'd already extended it beyond what yep. they normally would. And because the language was the same, you, you and mum, uh, we all moved to Taiwan. And then us kids, we were flying backwards and forwards to boarding school um, from Taiwan. And um, we, they, we were there for four years. Um, and I don't, don't want to say too much except to say that the trial, what was difficult for you there was um, the the sense of um, well the lack of gratitude actually yeah. yeah yeah I mean we liked Taiwan it was very modern and the weather was better and but the people weren't as accepting or as nice oh. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing was. I was on loan now to a Presbyterian church yeah. just to start a new church for them yeah. in the village, as I always done. Um, but the Presbyterians had left Taiwan under a sort of a cloud. So that's what influenced it. They'd yeah. taken their money and there was big disagreements amongst the Presbyterian, the Chinese Presbyterians and, yeah. and the American Presbyterians. So when I came there, that we sort of, well, okay, you're one of them, you get paid well, you live well, get on and do your job. Yeah. That was it. So you were ministering, you were labouring on the back of um, yeah, roots uh, of bitterness and, and yeah, just unrest. I, I remember I'd been three years building this church and it was about to call its own pastor. And they put out this big brochure about the church and it, but it wasn't actually until I was on the boat coming home on the ship and I read it in Chinese and I suddenly realised we weren't even mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. We'd started the church, mm. we'd spent three years, mm. it had grown, everything about it, but all they talked about was the new pastor and the new building. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't exist. Yeah. And I thought, well... That is what I felt. Mm. And that was not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that. yeah. Mum, you grew the women's work mm. um, there and did a fantastic uh, uh, job. Faye started uh, homemakers, which mm. spread all through Taiwan at that time. Yeah. All the Presbyterian churches had homemakers because Faye started it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it was um, four years there, and then you, were, then you left the mission and came back for our mm -hmm. education. And then you served 20 years in um, churches here, in mm -hmm. Baptist churches in Western Australia. You officially retired in 1998, mm -hmm. but you're still preaching, still serving, still leading. And I think mm -hmm. you actually helped, yes, you helped with the church plant at that stage um, into your retirement, and continued. And then Dad... Um, 
in your retirement, your health came under fire and you um, got cancer in your mouth mm -hmm. and um, it came back three times, first mm -hmm. when you were 67, then, then when you were 74, each time there was, it was cut out and you lost teeth. <laughs> and then finally, in, uh, when you were 85, you had a maxillectomy. What, yep. what does that mean? Took the roof of my mouth out, took flesh from my hair, big long scar I've got there, and put it in my mouth. And grafted it in. Yeah. And I'm numb all around here. Yeah. So I, I don't like the way I talk anymore, <laughs> but I don't think you notice it, so it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Huh? Oh, it's good. good. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. And you, you actually have new teeth now. Oh, I have a mouthful of titanium implants <laughs> that cost forty thousand dollars. <laughs> Seriously. Um, uh, yep. Thank you, Fiona Stanley. <laughs> yep. And you, taxpayers. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you pay tax. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's awesome. <laughs> it's good to see you still smiling, Dad, still laughing. I just want to read something that you sent out to everyone just before you left the hospital after the maxillectomy. I think you were there about six weeks, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, no, not that not long. I know, but... You said, hi there. Here it is Saturday afternoon. And I'm well enough to be thinking about going home on Monday. Wonderful. So much about this journey has been improving, but some parts have been extremely trying. Surgery was right on time, and the wonderful thing was that, that as far as anyone knows, all the cancer was cut out. A change occurred at this point, as it was felt best to take skin and bone from my left thigh to graft onto the roof of my mouth. As planned, nymph, lymph nodes were dissected from the left side of the neck, the trying part is my feeling hallucinatory, jumbled pictures with no sense. And there is much more to talk about, and I will when I'm home under my own vine and fig tree. Thanks again for cards, prayers, visits, and messages, and thank God I feel better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, um, Dad, I will say, though, you have given a few dentists a shock when they've looked inside and seen <laughs> your hairy... Yeah, because the hair off the leg grows in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? <laughs> I warn them first now. <laughs> oh dear, Dad. <laughs> I think they've given up now. <laughs> On what? <laughs> the hairs have stopped growing. Eh? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good to know. I was going to say, you haven't given up playing tennis. No. And um, Dad was fondly known as the tennis playing preacher. Yeah. At uh, Fiona Stanley, uh, they couldn't oh, believe yeah, they right. couldn't believe that he was still playing tennis. It's actually why they actually did a different procedure because you'd never smoked and yeah. you were very healthy. Yeah. Um, and so they were able to do something different, which actually gave them a better chance of, of you getting back your voice and everything and yeah, I can't continuing all to that preach. Now, but yeah, that's yeah. right. 
Mm. Yeah, you were hallucinatory, but there we go. Um, yeah, that's what, that's... I mean, I had a bad time for the anaesthetic. Yeah. For about one whole night, I was hallucinating. Yeah, but... and you, oh, yeah. yeah, it was very, very difficult. Mm. It was very difficult um, going through that. And I just want to thank you, New Life, because so many of you were praying. These people yeah. were praying for you, as well as many other people. Um, and God has preserved your life. And by the way, you get very good PR <laughs> down our way. Oh. Oh. Your pastor and, his, and, and oh. wife tell us how wonderful you are. <laughs> and there I believe go. it all. Yeah, I believe it all. Well, Dad <laughs> um, uh, and, and Mum, we just do want to thank you for coming this morning. And Dad, I actually want you to pray. I want you to pray for us to experience the blessing of this hope. Right, you know the the suffering which produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the fact that you are continuing to preach Christ and looking forward to your eternal home and the glory of Christ that He said rests on you, and when you suffer and when you're persecuted, when you're overlooked. When no one sees what you're doing, when the struggle is so intense it feels like death itself, that reward is coming and it's coming for all of us. And this morning it's a message of keep going in the grace of God, endure in the grace of God. That the testimony that no one can take from you will spread like a beautiful fragrance because it is a fragrance to the Lord. And let us be people who, who testify. But for the grace of God, you know, where would we be? We have an eternal hope in Jesus. And when we suffer, we enter into the sufferings of Jesus Christ himself. Dad, would you pray? I feel a bit like the ancient Jacob, you know, when he went to Pharaoh. And he said, my years are short and troubled, only 130. Um, and then he blessed Pharaoh. Well, I want to bless you. Let's pray. How I thank you, Lord, for these, your people. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for the way you were leading them. I thank you for the way they love my daughter, and son-in-law, and my grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I thank you that they are loved by you. And I ask you to fill them with a spirit of hope and grace and love to keep on. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.